0: super talk mississippi media production come see your locally owned and operated linton glass for all your glass needs no matter what glass you need to replace you can count on linton glass call us today at 601-835-4336 or find us on the web at lintonglass.com
1: howdy howdy it's rhino here and i wanted to say thank you for listening to middays with gerard gibbert here on super talk mississippi
2: Everyone and welcome to midday super talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. On this midterm election day, Rhino, howdy, howdy! It is finally here, the big day. Americans go to the polls to elect their representatives in Washington for the House of Representatives. Many. Are selecting their candidates for the United States Senate. All eyes really in the world watching, waiting as we shall. It's a big old day. Good weather here in the state of Mississippi. That should not deter folks from getting out and casting uh, their votes. Uh, I did so this morning. I'd say moderate traffic around the 8 o'clock hour, polls having been open for an hour. And in fact, we'll get an update on the situation across the Magnolia State from the Secretary of State of the great state of Mississippi, Michael Watson at 12.05. At 10.20, coming up in the next segment, Carolyn McAdams, mayor of Greenwood, It's going to talk about the Greenwood LaFleur Hospital and the fate uh, thereof. So the markets appear to feel good about gridlock. Watching the, the Dow presently up 371, the NASDAQ up a little bit. We shall see where that goes. I'm predicting right here, if we see a flip, Even in just the House, I think we're going to see a bit of a bull run. I don't know what kind of legs it'll have. But I think the market likes gridlock. Because even if the Republicans only take the House, I still think they're going to take the Senate. I didn't, honestly, on this program a couple of months ago. I still had it at 50-50. I'm feeling like at least 51-49. Might not know this evening, because of two very contentious races, those being in Georgia and Pennsylvania, but nonetheless, I still feel good about a 51-49 at a minimum, being cautiously optimistic. I'm thinking a 20 to 25 seat advantage in the House, but... The most important, the most meaningful aspect of that flip of the house is that the agenda is on ice, talking about the Biden agenda. It shall be put to the side, cast aside. We'll get into that a little more in the program. First, the Powerball, it edged up over $2 billion, I saw. The winning numbers finally drawn this morning due to... Technical difficulties. Yeah, so I I will share that uh, our president, the Mississippi Lottery Corporation, informed the board, actually shared with the board official communication from the Multi-State Lottery Association, and it came down to one of the states, one of the participants, actually I should say one of the participants, because D.C. and Puerto Rico... I believe it's Puerto Rico, are also members of the Multi State Lottery Association and thus participate in Powerball and Mega Millions. Anyhow, they communicated that there was uh, a uh, security anomaly, and I'm paraphrasing a bit here, in one of the participants' uh, systems. And and thus, they needed to get that resolved before drawing. So that communication went out from the Multistate Lottery Association early this morning, and our president, Jeff Hewitt, was kind enough to share that with the board. Anyhow, Yes, yeah, so this is exactly what the release said here, Rhino. The Powerball drawing schedule for Monday, November 7th, remains delayed due to one participating lottery needing additional time to process its sales and play data. They didn't reveal which, and that's fine, we don't need to know. But anyhow, that was resolved. The winning numbers have been drawn, what, hour or so ago? Not too long ago this morning. They are, if you haven't seen them. 10, 33, 41, 47, and 56. The Powerball was 10. So, uh, also, if if you're interested, folks, and you you play the lottery, I highly recommend an app that you can download from the App Store entitled Lotto, L-O-T-T-O. And you can specify your state in the app and it displays the Mega Millions Powerball jackpots the last the numbers from the last drawing and it also displays the jackpots and the numbers from the state drawdown games, the Match 5, the Cash 4 midday, the Cash 4 evening, the Cash 3 midday, 3 evening. It's a pretty cool app, and it's just real simple, one-pager sort of deal. I highly recommend that if you're interested. But anyhow, once again, 10, 33, 41, 47, 56, the power ball of 10. I believe, Rhino, the jackpot exceeded, got up to $2 billion. Yeah, a- it grew yeah.
1: just over $2 billion.
2: And that's based like on 2. sales. zero four or something like that. And that is a record Powerball. The Mississippi Lottery Corporation did, in fact, produce a record sales week last week at some $17.8 million. And uh, I expect this week will be a, a pretty healthy week of sales as well. It really depends on whether or not we got a winner. Think about that. No, no jackpot winner? Sales go through the roof. Still are going to be strong because the week starts Sunday morning at 12.01 a.m. and had a couple of days, I'm sure, haven't seen the data of brisk sales leading up to what was expected to be the drawing last night. So, a lot of stuff going on. you got the big Powerball, and, of course, you've probably seen the uh, not really a meme, but a graphic of the red wave. You've seen that one, big, a graphic of a of, of a, a big uh, water wave on the ocean, shaded in red. Yes, yeah, tsunami. <laughs> so that's the question. We're going to get a ripple or a wave or a tsunami. Did anyone win? Don't know yet. Uh, on the ceasefire text line, I bet my four bucks that someone in California wins the lottery. Well, it's a, the chance is one in two hundred and ninety-two million, according to the Powerball folks. And it could be anywhere. Honestly, I mean, so uh, just curious, Brad in Burnsville, why do you think someone in California? Here's what I I can say: California is a big state, the most populous state. And I haven't actually looked at the data, but just extrapolating, I expect more tickets are sold in California, just because of the sheer math, the numbers. Interesting. 53 slash 54, Ronnie and Summit. Not sure what you're talking about there, Ronnie. I missed some seats. Oh, 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 gotcha, you, gotcha, you, thank you. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. Okay, that's optimistic. I hope you're right. I, th- I think that that's certainly within the realm of possibility. No doubt about that. Going to continue, Rhino, with the discussion today on what I think that the Republican-controlled Congress should focus on. And I'm I'm going to say again, I'm optimistic of a change of control. I think it's just guaranteed in the House. And I I still feel positive about the same in the Senate, with uh, lesser of a margin in terms of the number of seats. But what should they do? What is possible? What is achievable? But I'll just caution again, be realistic. It ain't like next week you're going to see the price of eggs go down because Republicans are in the House. And my concern is, which we'll discuss later, is is there going to be a letdown? Is there going to be a letdown? Hmm, think about that. When we come back, Carolyn McAdams, the mayor of the city of Greenwood, stay with us.
0: Gerard what? What? This yeah. is yeah. so awesome on Super Talk, Mississippi.
2: Everyone, to midday Super Talk Mississippi in the Element Well studios on this midterm election day. Also on the ballot, there are five states who are weighing in on the legalization of recreational marijuana Arkansas, Maryland, Missouri, North Dakota, and South Dakota. And a couple of states have millionaire taxes on the ballot, those being California eh, and Massachusetts, the Bay State. In California, Proposition 30 would add a 1.75% levy on annual income over $2 million. That would be on top of the state's top income tax rate, which is levied on income over 1 million, that sits at 13.3%. Think about that. You live in California, you make over a million, which is honestly necessary (laughs) just to make ends meet in some areas. You combine that with a 40% federal, top federal income tax rate, you got an effective rate. Or I should say a marginal rate, a marginal rate, of fifty-three point three percent. And then in some situations you got local, you got property taxes, incredibly high fuel taxes, which is why the price of gasoline and diesel is so high. And then in Massachusetts, oh you gotta love this. The Fair Share Amendment. <laughs> would create a 4% levy on annual income above a million. That would be on top of the 5% flat income tax in the base State. So that would be a 9% total for those earning more than a million. Hmm. So it, it's just, once again, I think it's it illustrates the different philosophies of the states, and this is really demarcation just across a a spectrum of issues, from COVID protocols to to abortion policy, crime, education policy, critical race theory, gender ideology, and then, of course, economic policy in the form of taxes and taxation. In Massachusetts, if this measure passes, that's expected to generate approximately one point three billion of revenue in twenty three, and they'll use that money to fund public education, roads, bridges, and public transportation. California's additional tax would bring in three point five billion to five annually. <laughs> of course in California they want to spend that for zero-emissions vehicle programs and wildfire response and prevention. Curiously enough, folks, the governor of the state of California, Gavin Newsom, he, of course, who enjoyed a $500 a plate meal at French Laundry in the Bay Area, while the peasants that reside in the state were locked up due to COVID. Anyhow, He opposes this tax increase. He opposes it. I found that rather fascinating. I think maybe that's him trying to get a little moderate as he maybe tries to build some momentum for his bid for the presidency in 2024. I believe today he's the most likely person to be the Democrat candidate, the nominee for the office of the presidency in 24. I really do. I think he's the most likely. I don't think it's going to be Joe, and I don't think it's going to be Kamala. I think the party doesn't want that as well. But that's a little, little glimpse into what else is on the ballot today. Of course... Besides the election of members of the House, members of the Senate. Yesterday, we got into a little bit of what we thought the Republicans should do. Should they take control of one or both chambers? And, all right, we got Carolyn? Hey, hey Mayor? Can you hear? Yes, we got you, ma'am. Thank you. Sorry about all the technical difficulty. Welcome to Middays.
3: Me too. too. How are you?
2: Doing fantastic. Wanted to get you on to uh, share some insights, to the extent you can, about the fate of the Greenwood LaFleur Hospital. What's happening there?
3: Well, unfortunately, we had a real setback on the Greenwood LaFleur Hospital going forward with UMMC. So, as you all know, on Friday, we found out that UMMC had backed out of the leasing agreement or bill. So now we're back to square one of our situation at Greenwood LaFleur Hospital, trying to see how we can keep the doors open for our citizens and surrounding areas so that they would still be able to seek some type of health care. So we're working really diligently towards that in getting with our medical uh, board, our uh the CEO and the administrative staff of Greenwood LaFle Hospital to work on the next step or the plan B, so to speak.
2: Right. So did, did UMMC provide uh, any explanation, Mayor, as to why this deal fell through?
3: Well, uh, according to them, it was a financial issue as well that they... Uh, after looking at their financial situation, they've decided that maybe this was not the right time uh, to move on this, and so that's why they uh, decided to uh, not move forward with the, with the lease.
2: I see. What's the financial condition of the hospital, Greenwood LaFleur Hospital? How, how's it doing? Is it producing a positive cash flow or is it a
3: negative cash flow? No, it's it's been real, real difficult for the last several years. Uh, We've been facing this issue and trying to work with it. And then when COVID hit, uh, it made it even, you know, more difficult. And uh, we did uh, get the uh, Medicaid uh, advance payment loan. And so now we're working on paying that back uh, and also trying to offer services without the Medicaid expansion. It's been really, really hard on everyone uh, with the board and trying to get the finances there to keep the hospital doors open. We've done great and thought we were like on our way to uh, hopefully being successful with this because of the, the a possibility of being able to partner and lease it back to UMMC. But since that's fallen through, now we're just trying to work real hard on a plan that we can keep Uh, some of the doors open at Greenwood LaFleur Hospital. It won't be like the people are used to today or yesterday, but going forward, we're hoping that we can still have a hospital and the ability to take care of the citizens here because there are so many citizens in Greenwood, that rely on that hospital because they they can't get in the car and go somewhere else. And we have a lot of those. In fact, we have a lot of people that walk to that hospital or get a friend to take them to the hospital. So that is going to create a real problem going forward. Is how do we how do we deal with our elderly or handicapped and getting them uh, accessibility to help? So it is a number one priority right now in the city of Greenwood, and we're working towards that goal.
2: How many employees? uh does the hospital have on staff
3: okay we had 458 as of friday and they are uh you know uh, laying people off to make the class cash flow available uh to operate the hospital so there have been some layoffs within this week and to that i'm not sure as to how many but and i don't know what that picture's going to look like uh when we get to the end of this week, I'm not sure of that, so I don't want to tell you an incorrect number.
2: I understand. Mayor, we're up against a, a break right here. Uh, if you can hang with us, we'll continue this discussion on the other side. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, folks. We're in the Element Well studios on middays. We've got the mayor of Greenwood, Carolyn McAdams. We're talking about the fate of the Greenwood LaFleur Hospital. We're coming right back.
0: Yes, In a world full of noise. The latest news. Finding information that matters to you can be overwhelming. That's why Super Talk is here. Here we go. To filter through the noise, to cut through the clutter, to deliver real information, and discuss how it affects you. You'll know what's important and why it matters when you listen to Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk Mississippi. The mayor of Greenwood, Carolyn McAdams, our guest, talking about the Greenwood Lafleur Hospital. All right, So, Mayor, you were just saying over 400 employees that uh, work. 458.
3: 458.
2: Right. And and that was as of Friday. And since then, have there right. been some uh, some layoffs?
3: Yes, sir. There have been. Now, To I do not know how many right now, but there have been some layoffs, and there will continue to be layoffs until we have the cash flow that we need in order to keep the doors open.
2: So does the hospital provide some insight into that, Mayor, of of what they mean by, or I I get it, the cash flow, but is it uh, lack of uh, reimbursement? from the various uh, revenue sources, Medicare, Medicaid, private insurers? Is it a large component of uninsured care that is being provided?
3: Well, yes, it's a little bit of all of it, but mostly this hospital services most of the people that that cannot pay. And so regardless of whether they can pay or not, they're seen and they're treated. And so we don't get reimbursed for that. And so it's, we've been absorbing that cost, and it's just been difficult to keep on absorbing that cost without the repayment. So I, I commend the hospital, the, the staff, and the leaders of the hospital for keeping the doors open as long as they have. But I just want to reassure the people that we're going to work very, very hard to keep the Greenwood LaFleur Hospital open for the people that need to be cared for in our city. So we're working, like I've said, that is our number one priority right now, keeping those doors open.
2: Would you happen to have, so, Mayor, I I get it, the uninsured uh, care in particular that the hospital is absorbing where folks just can't pay. Would you happen to have the figures on what percentage of the care provided is uh, being given to patients without any coverage and, and do not pay essentially?
3: Well, unfortunately, in our area, I would say probably eighty percent are not paying.
2: Eighty percent. We probably
3: have twenty. Yes, we probably have twenty to twenty-five percent of paying customers at Greenwood Floor Hospital.
2: So, so okay. So, eighty percent of the patients that receive care from the hospital do not pay because they don't have any coverage is that the issue and really can't pay out of pocket they,
3: they exactly they cannot pay out of pocket or they cannot pay uh, what is what is necessary to be paid so yeah. that's this hospital has been absorbing that cost and that's why the Medicaid expansion is so so important to cities like the Mississippi Delta I mean we're not the only hospital that is suffering but we're at the uh, I guess right now we're the only hospital facing this this situation of dire, stressed uh, need of of the deal falling through, and now we're just having to deal with it on our own to keep it open.
2: So I just wonder how that compares to the other health care institutions across the state in terms of the percentage of care provided that goes to those without insurance and it's just not covered, uninsured care that, that is absorbed by the institution now you do get some disproportionate share payments from the federal government what they call dish payments uh, but i know that's been altered it's been modified somewhat i'm assuming right. that that's not Severely. Co- yeah i'm assuming that's not covering the out-of-pocket cost here no it's not
3: so and that's been the part that's been the hardship of it not being enough payment to To cover that, so like I said, if it's not enough, then the hospital absorbs that.
2: I got you. So you're probably aware that uh, in the American Rescue Plan, which was uh, enacted uh, and signed into law by President Biden in March of 21, that included a provision which uh, fairly significantly expanded the subsidies and credits in the Obamacare exchanges in fact, for uh, it's actually better exceeds the, uh, the financial assistance provided under Medicaid in that an able-bodied adult can get private coverage in the exchange for zero premiums and most of their out-of-pocket is subsidized as well if their household income is less than 150% of the federal poverty level. I just wonder how many of those that otherwise – would be eligible for Medicaid under expansion, which would, in fact, be extended, would extend the program to able-bodied adults. I wonder how many of them are signing up for this coverage. I don't hear a lot about that, and it just seems like a lot of folks just don't know. But that would at least provide some coverage that the hospital would get reimbursed for.
3: Well, that is correct and a good point. And you're right. I don't know if they don't know or they're afraid to, to choose that. Uh, I, I can't answer that question, but I'm I'm assuming. Hopefully, now we can get the word out that they can uh, that they can get that, and you know that they're able to apply for that. Yeah. And so maybe maybe it it is true that they don't know. I'm not real sure about that, uh, but like I said, I'm going to investigate into that and see what. See if that is something that people just are not aware of that they need to be extremely aware of going forward, for sure. It's kind Absolutely. of flown,
2: yeah. It's kind of flown under the radar. Haven't heard a lot about it. We've talked about it on the uh, here on the program. So that was put into place for a year under the American Rescue Plan, and then in the recently enacted Inflation Reduction Act, it was extended out for another three years. My guess is these sorts of programs that they, they, they tend to become permanent that it, it won't be reversed. But certainly in the, in the interim, folks that uh, otherwise would qualify for Medicaid under expansion could go to the exchanges and get private coverage, which I'm assuming the hospital accepts uh, the, the carriers that sell coverage in Mississippi and the Mississippi exchanges most do. That would be something. It's, it's better than no reimbursement for sure.
3: Absolutely, and I will get with the CEO and and see if I can't get an answer to that question. I'm sure they are aware of it, because like I said, there's been no rock unturned yeah. trying to keep the uh, keep it going, keep it keep it open. That's that is our main goal, keeping that hospital open because it's such an important tool for economic development. I mean, you know, we have prospects that are looking at Greenwood and. You know they're worried about the the care of their uh, employees, and I, I can't blame them. So that is very that is a tremendous important tool for economic development to have in their toolbox. Right. That we have a hospital.
2: Have you have you spoken to the governor or, or any or the lieutenant governor, anybody in state government uh, about this issue?
3: Yes, I've, I have talked to the lieutenant governor Hosman, and I've also. Uh, spoken to the staff in the governor's office about this and so have other people. There have been lots of people in Greenwood that have reached out to their legislators, their governor, their lieutenant governor, uh, even the congressional uh, senators uh, that we've re- all reached out and asked for help. But like I said, you know, when everyone is asking for help and having some similarity of this problem, then it becomes you know, a difficult problem for to, if the state could sustain everybody that is asking for help. I mean, uh, Lieutenant uh, Hoseman said in the uh, session not too long ago at Hobnob, he said that if they had to take care of every hospital that was sort of bleeding right now, they would have $600 million that they would have to Care for in the state could not sustain 600 million dollars
2: yeah I heard that same figure 600 million dollars I you know I don't know uh, what the data that substantiates that figure I, I haven't seen that specifically but I've heard that that top level aggregate figure tossed out w- what's your short-term plan right now mayor
3: well, we're keeping it open. I mean, it's open. They're seeing patients. Uh, not doing that much surgery that would require them to stay in the hospital, but there's still outpatient surgery. Uh, there's still some doctors that did go over to UMC and will be signing contracts with UMMC uh, that have their own clinics, and so that's that's still there. So that's a good thing. So we have a lot of orthopedic uh patients here that are seeing orthopedic surgeons and that's still open so right now in rehab ability to be rehabbed after you've had that surgery or you've had those issues so right now it's um it's pretty it, you can be served. You can be served in Greenwood Hospital right now. Okay. Now, what it's going to look like next week or the next week, I can't I can't say it. It's sort of like an artist and looking at a canvas. I can't paint that picture yet. I
2: understand. Mayor, appreciate you coming on and telling us about this situation. We'll be keeping up with it as well, and, and uh, we'll re- be reporting on that. I'm sure we'll be talking to you some more. Thank you.
3: Well, thank you so much for having me on here and telling telling the, the people what is tri- actually happening here in Greenwood. And thank you so much. I appreciate it.
2: You bet. Yes, ma'am. Carolyn McAdams. Have a good day. You, you too, ma'am. The mayor of Greenwood talking about the Greenwood LaFleur Hospital. We'll come back. We've got another segment this hour. And then we've got Secretary of State Michael Watson at 12.05. Going to check in on Election Day. Stay with us.
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back. On Super Talk Mississippi.
1: I got rice cooking in the microwave. Got a three-day beard. I don't plan to shave. And it's a goofy thing, but I just gotta say, hey, I'm doing all right. Yeah, I think I'll make me some homemade soup. Feeling pretty good and that's the truth It's neither drink nor drug induced no I'm just doing all right
2: And it's a great
1: day to be alive and over the sun Welcome
2: still back everyone midday night, super top Mississippi hard times in the We are in the Element Wealth Studios And let's see tomorrow we're going to be down at the Weston. For in Innovate, Innovate Mississippi's Accelerate Conference, I believe this is the twenty-third annual Accelerate Technology and Innovation event from the Westin Hotel in downtown Jackson. So uh, we're going to be hosting midday's. I, I am. Uh, I've got to make a quick run at noon to go into the luncheon and. Um, do my duties as this year's board chair to welcome everyone to the event. I got about two minutes to (laughs) offer some uh, welcoming remarks and introduce uh, the individual who will lead us in prayer to get our luncheon kickoff. And then I got to get back to the Element Wealth Studios there (laughs) at Weston. But it should be a good, fun event. Looking forward to it. I, I will say this. We have a fantastic board of directors. I mean, some truly accomplished Mississippians, thought leaders, and do a good job. Also, Rhino, last night I went to a little pre-election barbecue hosted by uh, Fred, uh, not Fred Shanks, I, I was reading a text from him, by Michael Guest, Fred Shanks, of course, one of my good friends, serves in the House of Representatives, and... A, uh, a nice lady approached me, introduced herself, and I introduced myself, and she said, I, I know who you are, and of course, uh, I'm, I'm always a bit taken aback by that, because when you sit in the studios, you know, there are a lot of folks out there that listen, and we're blessed with that, and they just know, and that's that's fine, I'm I'm grateful, I'm appreciative, I'm honestly always stunned. And she approached and wanted me to know that her son, his name is Chris Means, is going through some chemo treatments, fighting cancer, and listens to the show daily and enjoys it. Says he's our number one fan. And I wanted to give him a shout-out as we pray for his his full healing and recovery. And she told me that listening to the show and, and frankly, to the station, to the network, re- really helps him, provides comfort. And uh, I was touched by that. You never know, as you know. You, you never know. And I I am um, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm humbled. But most importantly, we want to see Chris fully recover. And if in some way this program and others on this network boost his spirits and energize his healing abilities, then man, that makes it all worthwhile, as far as I'm concerned. So thank you uh, for speaking to me last night, Miss Means, and and we we pray and God bless Chris. Just want to share that. Um, it was a good event last night. Michael Guest, of course, on the ballot today in the third congressional district, as are the other candidates representing Mississippi's other three districts, and I guess my ballot had a number of judges, I think, is what you'll see, right? Uh, also... Yeah, it
1: depends on where you are, but there should be some local elections as well.
2: Had school board as well. Yeah. We had some attrition there, so... Uh, but... Gary in the Berg says, hope you discuss your post-election plans for Republicans in the House with our senators and representatives on the air. That, I can tell you. He says, by the way, what you proposed is excellent. That's from yesterday. Th- thank you for that, Gary. They they listen. They and their staffs, as Rhino knows, they they listen. Especially around election day, right? They oh, do. yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yesterday I talked a lot about re uh, reversing. Biden's executive orders particularly those related to climate change which pretty much has targeted the American energy industry which I think is a large a large element in this rampant inflation price price of oil is uh, trended upward it's down some since it's what high of nearly 120 back in June 120 a barrel but it's still a major. Major uh, aspect of this inflation that's killing all of us. But something else, uh, so I talk mostly about economics, but there are some other issues as well that I would like to see the Republicans tackle immediately. And we're going to catch you up on that on the other side of this break here. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well Studios on this election day, and we're coming right back. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of midday Super Talk Mississippi underway on this midterm election day. Americans headed to the polls across the fruited plain to cast their ballots. And of course, the Democrat message is if you don't vote for us, it's the end of democracy. Democracy is on the ballot. No. Joe Biden is on the ballot. That's what happens in midterm elections. It's a pretty ingenious system if you think about it. It's the way the founders intended it. Uh Uh-oh, you guys made a mistake when you voted for that president. Here's how you fix it. The damage done in two years comes to an end. It's a pretty regular occurrence, honestly. Folks like balance. They like gridlock. Problem is, they ram stuff through during that short period of time they have control. That's what happened under Joe Biden. Got as much as he could, rammed on in there. All right, so what I would do immediately as part of the Defense Authorization Act, that is what funds the National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA, the acronym. The final vote on that comes up after the midterms. That's the way it works. And I would ensure that this goofy vaccine mandate that has caused many of the members of our armed forces to be released, discharged, that that is repealed. They should be reinstated into service and compensated with back pay for the period of time that they were released, discharged. In a time when we are struggling to achieve our recruiting targets... And now it's widely understood that the vaccine, while it might prevent serious illness, what it doesn't do is prevent transmissibility, which is the whole purpose of that requirement, that mandate. And Joe Biden has refused to back off on it, pandering to his leftist base. The other thing I would do and I'd have to think about how to structure it from a language perspective. But we got to, we've got to insist and require that our military, which, by the way, the way our system works, the military is controlled by the people through their elective representatives. We don't have a military that stands on its own, It's controlled by civilians. I would institute some requirements that shift away the prioritization of diversity and inclusion. And all these privilege walks and all this woke racial sensitivity training and LGBTQ stuff, that's just not a function of the military. We have got to reprioritize the goal of combat readiness to defend the nation. I don't want to hear that goofy General Milley. Remember, Rhino, a couple of summers ago, no question, white rage, that's the number one threat to the function of our military. What the hell was he talking about? Nothing specific that he could point to. Remember him testifying on the Hill to that extent? I, I, That's got to be a top priority. It's got to happen. And I think this NDAA bill, I think the vote on that happens in the next couple of weeks. The other thing is the border. That seems pretty simple to me, that we require Border Patrol and all the agencies involved in patrolling and securing the border, to just follow the law. I would, again, put all this one at a time in nice, so easy to understand bills, even Joe Biden can understand it. Make him veto it. Make him veto a bill that calls for the reinstatement of our military personnel who were discharged because of the silly vaccine mandate. Make him veto that. Get the Democrats to vote against it. And I don't mean, like I said yesterday, don't include all these other pet projects in there, all these other poison pills. Well, I couldn't support it because it had XYZ in it. No, just limit it to this. One subject. Get him on the record. Make him veto it. I believe he'd lose if he hasn't already done so, support of the men and women who serve in our military. You don't care about all this crap. Just leave them alone. Let them do their job. So those seem to be like easy softball issues. And then I'd move forward like we were talking about yesterday, reversing all these goofy oil and gas and petroleum industry executive orders and mandates and just go through it. One at a time. Put them on his desk. His veto pen's going to run out of ink. That's fine. You never know. Maybe he will see the error of his ways. That'd be even better. And the Democrats in Congress as well. These are easy. Because here's my concern with economic matters being top of the list in poll after poll top priority to Americans. Not what the Democrats want you to believe, which is abortion and voting rights and democracy on the ballot. Fascism, that's the other one. It's fascist. Rob Reiner, <laughs> reading his tweets, <laughs> every other tweet's got fascist and fascism in it, which is nutty, right? So, um, Anyhow, <laughs> that's what we gotta do, in my view, is put these things, these issues on the desk one at a time. Easy to understand. Inflation. It's not like the price of groceries is gonna go down next week if the Republicans take over. Whole lot of work to do, and I believe that starts with Unleashing America's abundant, innovative petroleum industry, fossil fuels industry—that's where we got to start. I think just signaling interest in doing that and commitment to doing that, I think will change. It will cause a reaction, prompt a reaction from the industry in a positive way to consumers. I do. I think that I think that would be good. The uh, and then the spending. This is controversial. We're on the on the cusp of an eight point three percent, Social Security increase by law. It's already one point one trillion dollars, so that's going up. That's mandatory. Without some sort of legislative action, which would require sixty votes in the Senate. Can't change the trajectory of that. But what you could do is start the process of really digging deep into all these other goofy programs, especially those that are part of discretionary spending and the agency complex, like the IRS agents of 87000 and some of these other subsidies and credits that Biden is touting to go buy an electric hot water heater and a charging station and a new electrical panel, an electrical vehicle, all in the name of climate change. I'd start reversing those, put them on the table one at a time, as well I would the the 15% minimum tax, which is going to do way more harm then provide benefit, which is only giving more money to these spending nuts. It's all you're doing. It doesn't matter anyhow. They don't it's not like they look in the bank account and say, Hey, we got enough money to go do this program? Are we gonna have enough revenue to pay for this expenses? That does that exercise doesn't happen like you have to do in your household budget. Gee, I wonder before I buy this, do I have enough money to do it? Will I have enough money if I'm gonna take on some debt to make this purchase? No, it's just Oh yeah, well, this is politically popular we feel just go do it we don't we don't have to worry about the money we just drop it out of helicopters, print more literally they're not limited restricted to those kinds of exercises. That's how we got thirty one trillion dollars in debt coming right back stay with us be they could die.
0: Three, and now the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. <laughs> now, now, <laughs> onto the real part. Dynamite. on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: this town Been a long time coming. Been a long hard drive. Gonna smoke some. Gonna drink some. Gonna find a little trouble.
2: If now we're gonna make some. Rolling, 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 we gonna throw it all down. We, we are back in the Element Well Studios. Go to MyElementWealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. And don't forget, election coverage tonight, 6 p.m. You'll get the latest election results here on Super Top Mississippi as the polls close across Mississippi and the nation. Plus, Super Top Mississippi News will bring you coverage of Mississippi's election results. It's one of the most important midterm elections ever, and we'll have you covered. Looking forward to that. So uh, lots of uh, text on the C Spire text line. Going to try to get through some of those. Appreciate that. Karen and Ripley says, maybe the hospital could have clinics to help people sign up for this insurance. A lot of them do not know how to use their computer in that way. You know, Rhino and I were talking about that on the break. You may recall that back in the 2014-2015 era, when the uh, Obamacare exchanges were spinning up, there was uh, funding in there for what the law referred to as navigators. And their, their role was, in fact, to help people sign up. But this particular situation just, again, seems to have not got the promotion and the exposure and i'm talking about the way the obamacare subsidy system the model itself has been expanded and and honestly the democrat the idea behind that was uh to try to provide something that would equate effectively to medicaid expansion which they could do <laughs> on a three-year basis and pass it under the reconciliation rules without 60 votes in the Senate. That's what they did. They put it in place in ARPA, which, which was short-term, which no Republican voted for, but it, too, passed under reconciliation rules, and then they passed it, they extended, I, sh- I should say, the program, in the Inflation Reduction Act recently passed for three years. And my guess is it won't go away. I don't think Republicans, even if they had control and the ability to do so, it's just my belief that they wouldn't eliminate that. It's just really hard once you put these these sorts of programs in place that provide direct financial aid to citizens from the federal government. It's just really hard to pull those back. It's politically unpopular, no matter your constituency. It seems so. I I look for that to be extended further after it expires in three years. It's typically what happens. So yeah, it's it's just doesn't seem to be anything that uh, or something that. It's just widely known or discussed. It's better than nothing. And while I know a lot of folks oppose Medicaid expansion, this essentially is just federal tax money that is funding subsidies and tax credits to buy private coverage. That's that's in law. I mean, that was just enacted for another three years. It's been in place for a year, year and a half, honestly. So now it's in law for another three years. It's it's kind of surprising to me that here in the state of Mississippi, where we did not expand Medicaid, that we don't have any figures to say, well, how many that would have qualified for Medicaid expansion, able-bodied adults with Household incomes less than 138% of the federal poverty level. How many of them took advantage of this program where they can go to the exchange and buy private coverage where they're they're reimbursed by the federal government such that their premiums are 0.00, and and that is available to those with incomes below 150%, 12% more of the federal poverty level. I would think we need to know. It would be, not that we need to know, but that it would be instructive, valuable information in policymaking. Yeah, so Karen, the the issue, I agree with you. I think people ought to be spreading the word. It's a little late, though, once they're there registering, checking in to the hospital. I'm not sure how long you have to have that coverage in place before it's effective, but that seems a bit late. But the mayor sounds like she's going to go back and talk to the hospital. I'd be curious to know what kind of response is received there. Interesting. So why aren't those eighty percent on Obamacare? Well again, Randy and Stark will ask. They might not qualify. And and that's the point I'm trying to make, is that in the old Prior to the American Rescue Plan enhancements to the subsidy model, they still would have to pay something out of pocket. Many people can't afford that, especially the deductibles and the co can't afford it, anything. I mean, they can't afford $100 a month, you know, for for that. Now, that's subjective, obviously, <laughs> But I think that's what they tell you, that, yeah, I, I don't have the money for such coverage. And, of course, the other point is, if, Rhino, you made this off the air. If, you know, if you know you can get that coverage for free.
1: Yeah, why would you jump through the hoops of getting coverage if you can just show up at the hospital knowing you're not going to pay for it? Right.
2: And, that you know, that's actually true with respect to Medicaid. It's I, I've seen... Estimates from the Division of Medicaid hadn't looked at that in a few years that said as many as 50,000 people in Mississippi qualify for it, just don't know it exists, aren't signed up for it, or just haven't gone through the effort. And that's mostly blind, disabled, children, indigent, elderly. Those are the coverage groups, pregnant females with uh, income below the thresholds that qualify. Let's see, which she was on the ballot today, but she's not, says Derek in Greenwood. I apologize, Derek. Who were we talking about at that time? Do you know, Rhino? Uh the mayor of Greenwood. Oh, gotcha. That's right. That's the time that we were discussing. Medicaid expansion is imminent. Not sure if that would help or just a band aid. I actually don't think it is imminent, and I still I still submit that. Our lawmakers have got to look at what I'm talking about here. I mean, that's real. I'm, I'm positive of that, This, these enhancements to Obamacare. That was the purpose of it, honestly, was to fill the void in the states that didn't expand Medicaid. They were able to do that were the Democrats without the 60 votes in the Senate. I mean that was that was the legislative maneuver. Okay, you want to expand Medicaid. Yeah, we got to have 60 votes in the Senate to to do that. Yeah, the Supreme Court already said states that don't have to in order to stay in base Medicaid, original Medicaid, which is what Mississippi opted to do. That was a decision made. You remember that, Justice Roberts back in what? 2014, 2015. That was the that's when the mandate was ruled as lawful. Remember that? It's not a mandate, it's a tax and all that stuff. But part of that decision also included this Medicaid expansion decision. That's why all 50 states didn't didn't expand. Originally, that was law in the original Affordable Care Act. But another aspect of that mandate ruling was, hey, states, the federal government cannot dictate that states expand Medicaid as a condition for, for staying in base Medicaid. That's how we ended up where we are, with 38 expanding and 12 not. It was optional. Because I dare say, if that were the case, the state of Mississippi would have expanded. Because I, I don't think the state of Mississippi would have said, okay, federal government, we don't need your $4.5 billion a year for base Medicaid. Uh, that would have resulted in collapse of the, of the health care system in the state. If you look at the way we are reimbursed by the federal government, it's been historically 72, 73 percent the state picks up the other. We get the highest match in the nation because of our, our um, economic socioeconomic status. It's based on that. If you look at household incomes. And that has been expanded. It's been enhanced under the Biden administration. We're getting an extra five and a half, six percent from the federal government. And as long as we're under this so-called emergency declaration, that continues. That goes away. That's a significant piece of money we're presently getting from the federal government. Our goal should be to lift our population out of poverty so that they don't need Medicaid. That ought to be the goal, the focus. Coming right back. Stay with us.
0: Bring it on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Talk attitude yeah. from
1: the late great Joe Diffie. Yeah.
2: All right, so shift gears for a second back to uh, Bo and in Indianola, and someone else asked. I'm looking. Uh, Rhino about what to do with all that money, should you win the Powerball? I'm looking who, uh, oh yeah, David, on the C Tax Line. Oh, he had a different question. But Bo wanted to know, what would you do with all that money? Well, Bo, your question about the FDIC insurance at commercial banks, You definitely I wouldn't suggest just depositing that in just commercial banks. Earning a teeny tiny fraction of interest on a money market account, I uh, Bo would contact a wealth manager such as the Element Wealth folks that sponsor our program. And and so what that process looks like is they they sit down with you and look at your your financial situation. It's what me- wealth managers do your your present situation, your future plans, and a holistic approach. And you uh, discuss with them your priorities. Is it income? Like we say in our in our libraries here, is it income? Is it growth? Is it guarantees? Do you need to balance that out? And it, a lot of that just depends on your stage in life. Of course, when you got $950 million, it really don't matter a whole lot. <laughs> You're pretty much set. And all your offspring and your friends are, too, if you wanted to share. But uh, there are. Oh, gosh, there's so many you options. you could be
1: like the guy in China. Did you see that story? Uh-uh. Guy what guy there? China won the lottery and showed up dressed as some mascot, some local mascot, to hide the fact that he won the lottery from his wife and kids. <laughs> so what happened? So that they wouldn't grow accustomed to a richer lifestyle. Ah,
2: uh, okay. Well, I believe you'd be okay with 950. I'm just going to go out on a limb there. Uh the other question, so hopefully that helped. David says, if you take $950 million cash payout, who gets the other billion that's been collected? Well, it, it hasn't, David. So if you take a, a cash payment versus an annuity, so keep in mind, David, that the money collected from players who purchase tickets, if you choose the annuity, which is higher over some period of time, the money that was raised, that was uh, generated from the sale of tickets, then has to be invested to produce uh, income to cover the annuity, which is higher than the present payout of a cash lump sum. So it's, it's... Lots of financial math involved in that, what's called the net present value and future value of cash flows, and they do all kinds of calculations. So that's how that, That's actually how that works, uh, David. It's a good question, though, but it's not like, well, the money has been collected to pay that annuity as a lump sum. It have not It's been collected to pay it as a stream of payments. Assuming that the money collected is then invested to produce income, to cover that future stream of cash flows. Anyhow, good question, though. Pat Dale from the Delta says, I hope Newsom is the candidate. So I, I suggested earlier, I think Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, is the likely Democrat nominee for president in 2024. He says, they'll win California anyway, and I think most Americans from everywhere else can see through how fake he is and sleazy. I actually disagree with that, Pat. I think you uh, give too much credit to the voters. I, he, uh, I think he'll be... Just think. He was just up for a recall. There are 44 million people in California. They ain't all crazy. I spent a lot of time out there. He was up for a recall... And he defeated it handily by formidable, well funded competition. Honestly, I was a little shocked at how handily he did defeat it. It's going to really come down to, in 24, how folks feel about their present situation, just like it does today. Just like it does today. On the other hand, Donald Trump hinted last night he's going to announce. Next week, next week, a week from today, the yeah, 15th, the 15th. Hey, I think you're going to see him announce. That's, that's going to be fun, though. No matter what you think, right? it <laughs> will be plenty of fodder. <laughs> that's one way to describe it. <laughs> How about him and Newsom? How many nicknames has he come up? You sent me a Wikipedia
1: entry yesterday. Oh, yeah, I didn't realize somebody had taken the time to to <laughs> collate all of his nicknames
2: into a single Wikipedia page. That was hilarious. And some of those political figures have multiple nicknames that Trump has given us. We talked about him uh, referring to Governor Ron DeSantis as de-sanctimony. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I gave when it, I heard a,
1: a stinker grade. <laughs> Especially compared to some of his real zingers.
2: Yeah. I like low-energy Jeb. I think it's my favorite. He's clap. <laughs> Little Marco. Who could forget that one?
1: I still say my favorite is Quid Pro Joe.
2: That's a good... That's one of the figures for whom he has multiple nicknames. Oh, yeah. Joe Biden, right? Sleepy Joe. Joe. Sleepy Joe. <laughs> so, I think we'll see a barrage of nicknames... But Gavin Newsom, I can't wait for how he's going to describe him in that respect. Jason and Collins wants to know if Congressman Benny Thompson has done anything to help the Greenwood LaFleur Hospital. And that's a good question, Jason. What should he do? So this is back to what is the role of government. So we know that. In the continuing resolution, Senator Wicker, for example, championed $20 million going to the city of Jackson for water, right, for water uh, uh, infrastructure. And so, uh, again, I, I say this again, and I'm very serious, when you got 435 in the House and 100 in the Senate, and they're all up there trying to get a piece of the pie to send back home you end up $31 trillion in debt because they're all fighting over it. And the problem is we applaud them for it. Yes, thank you for giving us this money and nobody ever thinks about, oh, it added to the debt. It added to inflation. we don't ever stop to think about that. We don't really have the money to do that. Yeah, I just stuck it in there. We're going to do this, that, and the other. We don't have any money to pay for it, of course. We're just going to print more adding to our inflation woes, that's how we roll. Hmm. Let's see uh, elsewhere here. Kevin on the road says people that are not going to pay their hospital bill are also not going to sign up for insurance on the exchange. There's no way to fix that. I think there is, Kevin, and Rhino suggested that. I mean, it's as easy as completing a couple of screens on an iPad. Why can't you do that? Why can't someone be assigned to that function? You were talking about, and I remember this in the early days, you'd see tables, right?
1: Oh, yeah, they had tables set up at the grocery store to help you walk through the Obamacare and the Medicare Part D. I mean, it's it's happened multiple times. Yes. And there was money in the
2: bill, by the way, for that purpose. Oh, yeah, they weren't volunteering
1: their time to sit there at a table in
2: the Wally World. Exactly. Exactly. Jerry in Ponadoc says, I didn't win the Powerball, and I'm blaming all the Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> Heard Pelosi has mentioned retirement, says Michael in New Albany. Yeah, there's speculation that she's going to step down. She's like 82, I think, so uh, it wouldn't surprise me. I, it's got to be a little hard serving as the Speaker and then stepping down and you're just a rank-and-file member of the House. For someone that's 82, that's been there for how many years? Not someone maybe that is a little younger in age and knows that this thing could flip around again in two years.
1: Well, I think that story came out from a interview that I think it's with Anderson Cooper that's being aired tonight, but snippets have come out where she talked about the attack on Paul, her husband. Yep. and How that's changed her mind on retirement, and part of me just thinks sounds an awful lot like I need to resign before I get fired. Right.
2: I think that's probably true. Now that happens. On the 662, is there a way for Congress to reopen the Keystone Pipeline? That's a good question. That's another situation. So remember we talked about putting, uh, sending to the Oval Office a bill that repeals, rescinds Joe's executive orders, one of which was to shut down the Keystone Pipeline. I still wonder if that's even legal. Right for the executive, the president, to uh, assert such authority. But, again, put that on the table. Make him veto it. Now, keep in mind, it's under construction, so it wasn't open. There was no oil flowing through it. That, I think that's widely misunderstood. But it was under construction, uh, coming from Canada um, all the way down to, into Texas, uh, for the and it's it is very dirty sludgy oil, but I believe all safety precautions necessary to protect against spillage were in place. And yeah, I'd put that back on the table. Coming right back, final segment in this hour, and then Secretary of State Michael Watson.
0: You know what that means? Midday's with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: I used to be a renegade. I used to fool around. We are back. In the Element Well Studios, Super Talk, Mississippi. So Tony in Southwest Mississippi, in Southwest Mississippi, pardon me, says the IRS wins the lottery. It doesn't matter who wins. The IRS will take twenty four percent of gaming winnings. It's a flat rate. Your winnings are reported on Form A W two G. By the way, the state of Mississippi, at least. Gets three percent, so it's the twenty seven percent. So Tony, would you turn it away nine hundred fifty million dollars because you'd have to pay two hundred and sixty some odd million of it to the government?
1: That would not be a fun check to stroke. But, no, uh, no. Walking away with the remainder would be nice. Yes, agree
2: so Le- in
1: fairness though you would be in a very very small group of people that could say they stroked a check for oh what is it eight figures at that point right how can many people could say they stroked a check for that much to anybody
2: <laughs> uh leon from ripley says it's water heater not hot water heater sorry leon I've always heard it referred to as hot water heater. Am I missing something there? That's a
1: colloquialism. I oh. mean the the technical is yeah, water heater, but
2: okay. It's it's interchangeable. Well, I right, cuz I I just searched it and it's pretty widely referenced as hot water heater. I see some few water heater. Don't cancel me because of that. I mean <laughs> We got some sound. It identifies as a hot water. I got you. We'll play some sound from old Big Gretch Whitner here. You got that, by the way? I don't know. I, yeah, here we go. Listen to this. Speaking Bivars of words. tax cut will help reduce the economic burden of the cost of menstrual products, especially for lower-income Michiganders. Saving people with a period from paying taxes on up to $4,800 in spending <laughs> over the course of their lifetime. <laughs> you catch that? people with a period (laughs) and they're so serious about it once again that's what makes
1: me laugh which brings up something i said off the air yesterday what's that you you hear all the democrats all the leftists all the liberals the sky is falling democracy is at stake (laughs) democracy's on the ballot vote like your life depends on it all right is it serious enough to quit make-believing that men can get pregnant no, then shut up.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, it, it just again, that's uh that's a good an example of just how loony it's gotten right there. I mean it's the sitting governor. People with a period. And it's just so pandering, it's just stomach turning pandering. It really is. Uh Leon Senesa laughing emoji. Jason, uh, I despise Trump. I'm so ready to vote for DeSantis, though, especially over Nutball Newsom. Tom and Carthage, I think the average Democrat would vote for Darth Vader if he promised us the proper handouts. The 950 is before taxes. Yeah, we got that. That's what we were just talking about. So you're going to pay 27% combined, in Mississippi, if you win in Mississippi, federal and state. It's 24 federal, and then whatever state you reside in, state, taxation of gaming winnings in my age i would spend it all i don't really need anything but a few more harleys i would go in a mattress or in some jars in the backyard and bury it on the 662 this is interesting rhino border is no worse than it has it has been in the last several years i like your plan but still no governing just getting it sitting president that's why We're where we are now, and since your buddy likes Google and calls everything that doesn't agree with him ignorant, who's my buddy? I think
1: he's referring to me because I told him to Google something, Uh Oh, and I called him ignorant when he tried to say, well, I'll just scroll back up and give him verbatim. (laughs) Quote from the 662, guess you're happy with the Republicans and Trump trying to make the country a communist country under dictatorship? Huh? That's ignorance. Incarnate. Right there.
2: Trump raised... The deficit more than any other president, so that too alone helped cause a $30 trillion deficit. Well, uh, let's break that down. First, the border absolutely is worse. We set a record in terms of illegal crossings. By the way, you can check us out on that, my source, the United States government under Joe Biden. I didn't make this up, right? 2.76 million encounters and this just stands to reason, doesn't it? you got a president that says, come on in, come on in. Well, of course. And if, if the Democrats deny that, every single interview you see with a migrant says, yeah, they told us, come on, they are take care of us, right? Every single one says that. Because that's what they want. And it's evidenced by the fact that he's not been there yet. Nor has Kamala. It's unimportant. What's important is let them all in so they'll vote for Democrats, but their plan's backfiring on them. And then after we talk to Michael Watson after the break here, I'll talk about the deficit situation. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Welcome back, everyone. Midday, Super Top Mississippi, hour three of the program on this election day. Joining us now, the Secretary of State of the great state of Mississippi, Michael Watson. Uh, good afternoon there, Mr. Secretary. Good
4: afternoon, my friend. We're in Drew, Mississippi today. Uh, or just Excuse me, right now, uh, checking the precinct here. We've been in Marshall County, Lafayette County, Whitman County, and working our way down to Jackson. Uh, so we'll be all over the state today.
2: What's it look like? What are you hearing?
4: I'm hearing a lot of reports about great turnout. Uh, We we saw our absentee numbers spike from what we saw in the primary, Uh, so that was a good uh, hopefully suggestion that people be coming out to vote today. And I really think Mississippians are charged up, ready to vote, so we're seeing good numbers.
2: Yeah, so let's be clear, we've got elections in every county in the state of Mississippi today, correct?
4: All 82 We've got folks that will be around the state in about 40 counties of the 82 checking precincts, again, making sure the law is being followed. Uh, we don't want to just talk about voting integrity. We want to make sure that we are out there showing that our office cares about the laws of Mississippi and that being enforced correctly.
2: Have there been any reports, Mr. Secretary, from any of the, uh, the circuit clerks about any sort of anomalies or elections commissioners, any, anything you've had to deal with thus far?
4: Nothing too bad. We have a couple of calls from DeSoto, uh, a few sets of long lines, and uh, we had one precinct that may have been low on ballots. Uh, we had a little bit of an issue in Madison County with a school board election. Uh, outside of that though, everything seems to be going pretty pretty well here across Mississippi.
2: Okay, so I voted this morning uh, before the show, and I believe in in uh, at my precinct there in Madison County in Ridgeland, and I believe this is the first time I can recall signing on a device with my finger there uh when i when i checked in to vote is that is that something new is that the electronic that? poll books yeah yeah So instead of signing my name... Some counties have those. Okay. So instead of signing my name, as you typically do, you're told where to sign when you show up, and you authenticate using your photo ID in accordance with our law, and you sign on the line that you're uh, asked to uh, by the poll worker there. Yeah, this time we did it electronically. I think that's great. So uh, obviously that is associated with uh, the ticket generated uh, at the time that I authenticate and, and am approved to vote. And so all that information is digitized and stored. I I think that's great, honestly. So uh, something that maybe some other counties ought to look into as well, huh?
4: Yeah, that's right. And and you, a technology guy, I understand. Uh, It's just like mobile ID and one of the issues we talked about of late, uh, where folks now have the driver's license on on their cell phones, uh, authenticate that in front of the poll workers there. So we're seeing technology take place, obviously, across the board with elections. I will remind you, though, Uh, The legislature this year passed new funding for new machines across the entire state uh, that are paper-based. So they will have a verifiable trail. If anybody ever has a question about a machine, we can always go back to that paper ballot uh, to make sure the numbers are accurate.
2: That's great. Yeah, it's a good point there, Mr. Secretary. So you're absolutely right. So then when I presented uh, the ticket which shows that I have authentic, authenticated. I've provided my photo ID, credentials, signed in, and so forth. I'm issued the ticket. I go to the next step in the process. I'm then provided a ballot, a paper ballot. Uh, it's a Mark sense ballot. I fill that out. It's scanned. But that paper ballot is still there uh, as an audit trail, should there be any post-election questions. So seems like that's working out pretty well for us, would you say?
4: It is. And you you make a great point there. Selection audits. Uh, one of the things that we'll be working towards this year uh, with the legislature, we, we worked on a little bit last year. Uh, our circuit clerks had a few questions about it, which is you know a great thing that we've done. Our 82 county tours sitting down with our clerks and commissioners talking about issues just like this. Uh, you know, if you have questions about post-election audits, what is a way that we can move forward together to put a system in place? where it just restores even more confidence to the process here in Mississippi. Uh, So we'll be working on that this year in the legislature.
2: Gotcha. You feel like we'll have all the results across the state uh, sometime this evening? I think so, Gerard. As you know, when folks come in, if they don't remember to bring their ID,
4: by the way, make sure you bring your IDs. Yes. If they don't remember, they have a five-day window to come back uh, to prove their identification. Uh, Also, with our vote-by-mail process, as the legislature changed the law in 2020, If you, As long as you cast your ballot by today, it's postmarked by today. uh, It can be received within five business days. That will count as long as the other processes were followed. So that has a little bit of a delay there, but we should have a pretty good idea today.
2: Polls are open until 7 p.m. this evening, correct? From 7 to 7, and
4: if you're in line by 7 o'clock, you will be allowed to vote, so make sure people know that. Uh, And, again, take your ID. Uh, It's a great day to go vote in Mississippi.
2: That's a good point. Is there anything... Mr. Secretary, voters need to be aware of with respect to uh, behavior while in line around the, the precinct, uh, the polling places. What do we need to know about in terms of Mississippi law there? Yeah,
4: look, no loitering within 30 feet. We actually had, uh, we were in a precinct just a few minutes ago where we had that issue come up. I had to deal with it directly, and, uh, which was great timing for us to be there. Uh, but outside of that, 150 feet away from the precinct, uh, if you want to be campaigning, uh, we'll make sure that that law is followed. And, again, draw it's really important that all Mississippians know we need all of the help. If you're in a precinct, if you see something that doesn't look quite right, please call our elections hotline. You can find that number on our website, Yallvote.ms. Uh, But if you see anything that's out of place, let us know. Call your circuit clerk, call your elections commissioner, or if it's something that is is really out of the ordinary, you can obviously call local law enforcement. So we just want to make sure that people understand we're a team and we need all the help we can get to
0: make sure the Mississippi's election process goes smoothly today.
2: Absolutely. Good point. What about uh, our our poll workers? Uh, Any issue this year, this cycle? I know uh, the COVID situation kind of set us back somewhat. How are we doing there?
4: You know, I was just in uh, Equipment County again, as I mentioned, and sorry, uh, 18 will ride by here, but a a brand new set of poll workers. So we're seeing new ones come out. Our poll worker portal has been uh, great. Uh, Folks can go to our website, sign up. We send information down to the counties and then they uh, activate it and recruit those workers that signed up. So uh, having a really good uh, turnout with that. But also just I think people understand the civic duty. Uh, to come out and help So it does get tight sometimes But we're we're seeing so far We've got enough uh, to make sure the process goes smoothly today
2: Yeah, so I expect that uh, At the Secretary of State's office You've got all hands on deck today, right? Big day
4: We do uh, There's many of us out in the field today Obviously going to see in different precincts uh, We've got Election Central at the office So Conker Patrick and his team Is fielding a, a ton of calls The call volume is, is really up today Which is a good sign Because sure. people are out and about going to vote Uh, If they see something, have questions, obviously they call our office. But a phenomenal team of people at the office, Gerard. Really, really honored to serve with them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mr. Secretary, have you been in touch with your counterparts in any of the other states, in particular those that have extremely contentious Senate races and, and gubernatorial races? What are you hearing there, if anything?
4: Yeah, we have. Matter of fact, I talked to a group of seven or eight of them last night. Uh, we all have gotten kind of close and we just share information across the states. Uh, and, and they're really excited about what they see as a big turnout today in their state. So again, I think the important piece is teamwork. Yeah. Uh, talking to these other secretaries, seeing what's going on in their state. So we can be aware. What do we need to look for here in Mississippi? And same thing here, sharing information with them from Mississippi. What what should they be looking for in their state? So uh, the the idea of having a good elections officials uh, patch of team is, is really important for us.
2: The president uh, the Democrats in general, supporters, surrogates, ha- have pounded their chest about democracy being on the ballot here. And I think one of the things they refer to is this ruse, this fallacy that, that Republicans and in, in Republican-controlled states seek to enact legislation that that prohibits or suppresses voters. Is there any evidence of that whatsoever? Start with Mississippi and then address <laughs> the rest of the country.
4: Well, let's talk about evidence to the contrary. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, they, they pounded pounded Georgia on their suppressive laws. You're right. And we have seen record turnout in Georgia this year, which is quite the opposite of what they're claiming. And, and quite honestly, uh, it really bothers me that, that the Democrats are try to claim the corner of democracy. That's clearly not the case. And you may have saw a tweet that I posted yesterday about, you know, if you want to, want to get out and vote for people that are going to follow the rule of law.
2: Right. That's the key. Uh,
4: so when the law is out there, and if you see states like Georgia where absolute turnout is, is going through the roof today, yeah. uh, in face of this suppressive, and I'll use air quotes <laughs> for the folks that are not seeing here on, online, uh, it's just not true. Yeah. And so I'm excited about turnout in Mississippi. We're seeing good numbers here. And, again, we've got a great set of laws in Mississippi. Proud of the team that we've built with our commissioners and our uh, clerks across the state.
2: I mean, I, I think we have uh, pretty accommodative rules and laws here. Has anyone ever reported, either at the county, municipal, or even up to the Secretary of State, I simply cannot adhere to these laws to vote? Has anybody ever said that? About 30 seconds left. Hold on.
4: No, sir, not at all. Matter of fact, again, on Twitter the other day, a guy it was so hard for him to absentee vote. I said, sir, I just absentee voted <laughs> yesterday and took me about five minutes. It was really easy.
2: <laughs> it's pretty easy. I've done it as well. I mean, I, I just think we've got a lot of empty rhetoric there, and, and I'm, I'm looking for more empirical evidence. And honestly, I believe if you or our lawmakers uh, were aware of any such, they'd address it. But there just isn't any evidence of that. and There's nothing to do. I think we're in pretty good shape.
4: 100%. Look at the COVID numbers in 2020. Our turnout was record numbers. In yeah. the face of all of that, it's yeah. so easy to vote in Mississippi right now. It's a great time to be a Mississippian.
2: I'm sure we'll be talking to you again. Uh, good luck today. I know you're going around the state. Thanks for all you do, Mr. Secretary. Talk soon. You got him, my friend. Take care. Secretary of State Michael Watson has been our guest. Coming right back. Stay with us.
0: Okay. Is everybody ready? I'm ready. ready, ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbons.
2: Good so far. It's about to start in earnest for one lucky Powerball player. It has been determined that the winning ticket was sold in California. It turns out, two point oh four billion dollar jackpot on the annuity, nine hundred and what ninety seven million in a lump sum. Interesting. 10-33, 41-47, 56 with a power ball of 10 is what won it. The winning numbers were drawn this morning in uh, at the Florida Lottery Draw Studio at 8.57 a.m. By the way, two lucky Mississippi Lottery players won 50000 bucks each. In the same drawing. Yeah, by matching four out of five of the white balls in the Powerball. One of those tickets was purchased from Keith's Superstore 112 on Highway 90 in Goche, Mississippi, and the second ticket was purchased from Blue Sky Number 730 on Battleground Drive in Iuka. From the top to the bottom. There you go. Pretty widely distributed there. That is coast to coast. Uh, neither player, it turns out, selected the power play option, which was the power play was number two. Power play number. And is that right? Which was two. Okay, yeah. So doing so would have doubled their wins to a hundred thousand bucks mm. from fifty. For a dollar. Yeah, so keep in mind there's nine ways to win the Powerball, besides a jackpot. You can you can match Fewer than the total five plus the Powerball, and which wins the jackpot, and still wins some money. And that's what happened here. Two folks won fifty grand in Mississippi. Pretty cool. Mo says two point oh four billion would be sixty eight million a year for thirty years. Even if you put the first thirty million in an annuity, you would have plenty of money to live comfortably in Mississippi. You don't say, <laughs> and you have a year to decide how to invest the next. You literally, literally could set up a Rockefeller-type of generational wealth if you don't pee it away. Yeah, I think that's. You wouldn't have to have two point four billion to do that, uh, Mose. But I get your point. Sam from Mount Herman says, "Hey, Gerard, is is that what Nancy Pelosi really thinks about why she should retire?" Or is it that old saying, when the cats are away, the mice will play, maybe keeping a closer eye on her home? Gosh, I don't know, Sam. I I just, uh, I mean, it's certainly a, a plausible theory there with the stuff that happened with her husband. I understand. I saw a report, Rhino, they had to do some, as part of the surgery, had to do some reconstruction of the skull to reshape it, reform it. To yeah, I saw
1: a reporting where they had to remove a piece of the skull.
2: Ugh. Gosh. Paul and Brandon wants me know, to know that hot and heater are redundant. Paul, I, I'm just repeating what I see in the ads for these devices, <laughs> for these apparatus. <laughs> Not my specialty. Uh, I freely admit that. I mean, if you
1: really want to get down to the brass tacks, unless you have a tankless water heater, you're still technically heating the hot water because you got to keep the tank true. at a certain temperature.
2: Derek and Greenwood weighs in by saying, it's like saying ATM machine. <laughs> <laughs> Automatic teller machine machine. We're splitting some hairs here. What are you guys, Gretchen Whitmer fans or something? <laughs> People with a period? Oh, gosh. All right, so earlier, yesterday and today, I've suggested that a top priority should Republicans transition to control of the House and and uh, the Senate. I'd repeal every single dang executive order the president enacted when he took office. I mean, it was first day, which were all about reducing carbon emissions, ostensibly, and and really negating the amount of fossil fuels that we consume. That actually that are produced and consumed. I mean, it was just a t- constantly attacking, targeting the petroleum industry all the way up to last night and if there's any question about the Democrat goal as far as that's concerned, Barack Obama made it very clear to us back in 2008 when he was running for president
4: uh, you know and and climate change is a great example you know when I was asked earlier about uh, the issue of coal uh, you know under my plan, uh, of a cap-and-trade system, electricity rates would necessarily skyrocket. Even, you know, regardless of what I say about whether coal is good or bad, because I'm capping greenhouse gases, coal-powered plants, you know, natural gas, you name whatever the plants were, whatever the industry was, they would have to uh, retrofit their operations. That will cost money. They will pass that money on to consumers.
2: Necessarily skyrocket. Right. We want you to use less, and we're going to force the price up with our goofy policies so you'll use less. It's the necessary. The will
1: continue until morale improves.
2: That's right. <laughs> so uh, something to, to keep in mind here that uh, you may have forgotten, maybe didn't know, but it, the first two years of the Obama administration, 29- Through 2010. Much like, although I think much more serious, much, much more impactful than the first two years of the Biden administration, where he had control of both houses. Well, back then, folks, Obama not only had control of the House, he had a supermajority in the Senate. He had the 60. Okay, so a little history here. Obamacare, health care reform, top priority. First thing he did was pass the uh, so-called Stimulus Act. It was only—it seems only $887 billion. The American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, as I seem to recall, is how it was styled. So that's the first thing he did. And we were coming off the, the banking crisis, the financial meltdown, at the end of the Bush term, that's the first thing he did. But the next thing, priority, was health care reform. And honestly, they expended all of their cycles, all of their political capital, all of their power in getting something done there. The first and the goal, the first piece of legislation and the goal, the preferred health care reform, was H.R. thirty two hundred. It came out of the House, and it was so crazy. It makes what we have look like an experiment in free market capitalism. It was brutal. And the only reason it did not pass, only reason, is because Ted Kennedy unexpectedly passed away at the end of '09 while in office. And that then necessitated a special election in the base state of Massachusetts, where where the senator uh, it represented. And Scott Brown, a Republican, got elected in Massachusetts, and it was because the Massachusetts—I don't even know how you how you say them. How do you describe folks that live in Massachusetts? Massachusetts Athenians. <laughs> They even knew this plan these guys have for health care reform is bad. And you remember why? Because Mitt Romney had been the governor.
1: Officially, they are known as Massachusetts. Oh. But they
2: colloquially refer to themselves as Bay Staters. Yeah, Bay Staters. You're right. I have heard that. Okay. So as Mitt Romney was the governor, and they enacted... A government sort of health care plan at the state level that didn't work very well. And so they had been burned and didn't want to see this happen at the federal level. And they replaced the Democrat Ted Kennedy, the lion of the Senate, as he was referred to, with Republican Scott Brown expressly to block passage of H.R. 3200. I'm leading up to this cap-and-trade thing. More about that and what happens in midterm elections when we come back. Just a long list, a mirage of folks on the C Spire text line that want to know about this hot water heater stuff. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So why heat hot water heater? Why would you heat hot water? You're reheating hot water. Because it ain't hot enough. So, see, hot's relative. What's hot water? Give me the temperature range.
1: Depends on what your definition
2: of is is. Ah, okay, Bill. (laughs) Uh, uh, Appreciate all the engagement on the hot water heater that's heating hot water. All I know is I went to a couple of sites, Lowe's and Home Depot, they call them hot water heaters. Blame it on them. All right, so back to what happens when midterms flip. So Barack Obama expended... All of his political capital, lots of energy, lots of, lots of effort to pass the Affordable Care Act. And that then, as you recall, I think prompted the formation and the movement of the Tea Party. I don't remember the lady's name specifically, but I remember her testifying on the Hill Hill And there was outrage over this federal, perceived to be federal takeover of health care. And the other thing that was going on was it was discovered right about the same time that the IRS was being biased in their granting of tax-exempt status to certain organizations, and the bias was targeted at conservative groups. I can still remember the smug arrogance, sanctimonious testimony from Lois Lerner. Remember her on the hill during that era? And this lady whose name escapes me, Rhino, the Tea Party representative, said, You're out I remember saying you're you're out of your swim lane here. And was decrying the IRS's Partiality should not be. Anyhow, the rise of the Tea Party really got cranked up across the country then. That swept Republicans into office in the 2010 midterms, flipping the House. I think 66, as I recall, House seats flipped. 66. Barack Obama subsequently described it as a, quote, shellacking. And it put the rest of the agenda on ice. Well, what was his agenda? Cap and trade? He just uh, he just uh, was talking about that in that video clip we played for you where electricity rates must necessarily skyrocket under my cap and trade plan with that flat Chicago Midwestern accent. And the other thing was card check. Not something you hear a lot of around here, because we're not a highly unionized uh, labor state. But what card check would have done, and there was a bill set and ready to go. The Employee Free Choice Act, which is anything but employee free choice. It's kind of like the Inflation Reduction Act. That does not reduce inflation. And what it... What it would uh, institute is a rule where if 50% of employees at an employer sign a card supporting a union, 50%, the, na- the National Labor Relations Board gets involved, as they do anytime unions are considered. By employers or employees working for the employer, they would get involved, and a secret ballot election is bypassed. And employees would have to vote in open yes or no, I want to be in the union. Well, you can imagine the repercussions of that if you opposed it and you were bullied as you can imagine, as well. So, this deal got put on ice. Had they not expended all of their energy and time in ramming through Obamacare, cap-and-trade and and car-check were the two next priorities for Obama. Fast forward to today. They had to reduce they being... Biden and the Democrats, they had to dramatically dilute the Build Back Better plan. And what we got was Build Back Better light in the Inflation Reduction Act. But make no mistake, if Democrats retain control of the House and it's even, even remains even 50-50 in the Senate with the tie-breaking vote coming from the vice president, we might get the bill back better. Now Joe Manchin stood in the way or worse yet as Biden has said in the last couple of weeks just give me two more senators meaning give me two that are on board with this that will offset the dissenting votes from Arizona's Kristen Cinema and West Virginia's Joe Manchin. That's what he's been preaching. That ain't going to happen, thankfully. And that's what he's talking about, so he can ram through the rest of his agenda. So it's amazing how this works. He got what he could get done, mainly because we had one person, maybe two, that stood in the way of ending the filibuster, of passing the larger Build Back Better voting rights, just down the list of all this radical policy. But that's what he wanted. Incredible tax increases. Remember, taxing capital gains is ordinary income, and much more egregious minimum taxes on corporations, and raising the base corporate tax rate by some 15 percent, wants to do all that. So this is how midterms can be effective in in at least stopping the onslaught of the agenda. It's exactly what happened to Barack Obama, and in fact, it continued for the remaining even though he got reelected, the remaining two years of his first term and in four years of his second term, pretty non-eventful from a legislative perspective. It's, it was really the infrastructure, uh, not the infrastructure, the Recovery Act, Stimulus Act, a.k.a. Stimulus Bill, that and health care. Those are his signature accomplishments. So anytime anybody... On the left, talks about how great Barack Obama was. Just keep this in mind. He really only passed two major bills, Obamacare and the $887 billion shovel-ready project American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. And then he subsequently said, with his buddy Jeffrey Immelt from GE, while well, our shovel-ready product projects weren't quite as shovel-ready as we thought, remember that famously? Infamous now, right? So, but it put the entire agenda... So what did he do? He didn't have any power. Now, I know the 662 person here was talking about the deficits under Trump. We, too, have called those out. And that was all a result of COVID. And that's part of the problem, is it not, Rhino, in contrasting the Trump administration with the Biden administration, is that the last year the Trump administration really departed from his philosophy and his ideology. And this COVID thing, like it or not, just scared the heck out of everybody. It just did. And they overreacted, but they reacted. And it's true. They signed into law massive spending bills to counteract shutting down the economy because goofy Fauci, Deborah Birch, said, you got to do this. And we dropped trillions out of helicopters and there's no doubt we're paying for that today is uh as part of this in inflation leech that's on us and we're paying for it in terms of the deficit so anytime you talk about yeah uh trump ran the deficit up more than any other president that's absolutely fact that's accurate but it's because of an anomaly like it or not, just was. And he signed off on it. And so did every other Republican, starting with the CARES Act and all the bond buying from the Treasury, which forced printing of money uh, that was purchased by the Fed, tallied up as debt on the Treasury, on the, on the uh, taxpayer's balance sheet. No question about it. All, all in with the bond-buying program, the quantitative easing to try to introduce liquidity into the money supply, into the economy. That plus the CARES Act and the other $900 billion bill passed right before that. Yeah, it's about $9 trillion or so, depending on how you calculate it. So we're not giving a pass on that. But... Why did it necessitate Joe Biden immediately passing another one point? It was almost like he wanted to pass that bill to say, Trump didn't do enough. i got to do more. Here's $1.9 trillion, and then run around and take credit for it. Well, the credit you're getting is you're going to get your butt beat today. Coming back with final segment. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk, Mississippi, the Element Well Studios. I just wanted to point out that the states where the most Powerball jackpots have been hit, Pennsylvania, 18, Florida, 16, Indiana, and New York, 12, California, Missouri, and New Jersey, 11, Louisiana, 10. So it's not always California. It's not tilted towards California, but it is a lot. So there was uh, a statement made on the C Spire text line. Here, if I can uh, find it, Rhino, about the Medicare versus Medicaid and uh, how the money was reallocated. I'm looking for it. I'm sorry. I scrolled past it. Do you see it, Rhino? Hmm. I'm looking. But anyhow. Yeah, from
1: the 601, Obamacare cut Medicare. Those cuts funded Medicaid expansion. Mississippi took the medication, but our, our cuts, but not the Medicaid expansion?
2: Yeah, that's not true. Uh, First, Medicare is a federal program. The state has no involvement in the Medicare program. The Medicaid program is jointly funded by the state and the federal government. But uh, it is true that Obamacare did cut the reimbursement to providers. But there's a little twist to that math there that was uh, completely misrepresentative. Here's an exchange between at the time I think it was Illinois representative Shimkus and he's questioning at the time Secretary of Health and Human Services Kathleen Sibelius the former governor of Kansas here you go
1: so there is a there is an issue here on the budget because your own actuary has said you can't double count you can't count 500 they're, they're attacking Medicare on the CR when their bill, your law, cut $500 billion in Medicare. Then you're also using the same $500 billion to what? Say you're funding health care. Your own actuary says you can't do both. So my simple question, I have 20 se- 26 seconds left. What's the $500 billion cuts for? Preserving Medicare or funding health care law? Which is it?
3: Sir, the Affordable Care Act has 12 years to the Medicare Trust Fund, according to every actuary, and the $500 billion represents a slowdown in the growth rate of Medicare over 10 years from what was projected at 8% to a growth rate of... So is it
1: Medicare? Is it using it to save Medicare? Or are you using it to fund health care reform? Which one?
2: Both. The gentleman so you're double counting. I yield back my time. Right. So you're double counting. And you and you you're watching it right now. She knows she's caught, right? You can tell. You can see her, her body English there. She doesn't want to answer the question. She don't want to say both, but she knows it's true. Because the actuary had just been on and said that. I'm talking about the Medicare actuary, said, Yeah. So there's no doubt that was part of the um, p- part of the uh, the plan there. But it honestly didn't work out that way. So it wasn't. And that's what she's trying to say. Oh, yeah, we're cutting Medicare here so you can have more money to spend on Obamacare subsidies, not uh, which are private insurance subsidies, not Medicaid, which is a combined publicly operated program, of course, of insurance shared by the the um, states and the federal government. So we're not giving a pass on the spending I'm not, that occurred the last year. Though, i got to tell you, talking about the last year of Trump's administration, 2020, but you remember, Rhino, I mean, the doom and gloom being predicted, and let's be honest, a lot of people did die. A lot of people did get sick. It did, for a while, overwhelm many of the nation's health care institutions. But I think it was excessive, and I think it was unnecessary. We did it here in this state. Who could forget? Couldn't play baseball. Right? No youth sports. Remember that? By governor's orders. Restaurants closed down. Everybody's saying, well, the only place I can go is Walmart. The big grocers. That was it. Folks complaining. Who could forget? Because they couldn't get their hair cut. I know members of the legislature that literally said to me in private, the most calls I'm getting are for constituents that can't get their hair cut. You remember that? No barbers. Now I'm not sure. No church. I know in my church, we were Zooming church for a while. Online. Virtual. Then we went back and it was every other pew. Social distancing. Now I'm not sure. Right? We've learned a lot. We've evolved. But nonetheless, out of panic... I think we rushed to create some programs that, in retrospect, needed to have more safeguards in them, such as the PPP program and the unemployment benefit uh, enhancements, we spent a whole bunch of money, and that ran up to debt, money we didn't have. We had ships sitting out on the seas trying to do something with the oil. It was negative. (laughs) Now it's 91 bucks. Folks, get out and vote. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be down at the Westin for the Innovate Mississippi Accelerate in Technology Conference, and we'll be reporting on the election results. And don't forget, we'll have a live coverage 6 p.m. tonight. Stay safe. God bless. All the red, white, and-